You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, it's that time of year where we are trying to organize and prep and plan for the upcoming season. And some of the gear that we use takes batteries. Now, you should go visit your local Interstate Battery store or visit interstatebatteries.com to check out all the different varieties of batteries that they offer. They have truck batteries they have batteries for your trail cameras they have batteries for your range finder and everything else that is electronic that you use for your hunting equipment they have batteries for that interstatebatteries.com awesome company check them out All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. My name is Dan Johnson. I am your host. And today we are joined by the CEO of the National Deer Alliance, Nick Penizzato, and he's going to run us through basically an update of all the happenings going in on, I should say, within the NDA, uh, that organization. He was recently in Washington, D.C. at a subcommittee hearing. Uh, He's going to talk all about that. He's going to talk about um, some of the other awesome things that this organization is doing, uh, like hunter access on some um, otherwise, I guess, some public ground that otherwise did not allow hunting. And uh, now they have access to this basically for more people to enjoy hunting more land and uh that's one thing that they've been up to as well so uh, i'm gonna let nick do the talking on this one really great episode it's always good to be informed and get these updates because i'm just as guilty as everybody else man sometimes you you love hearing about the gear you love hearing about the strategy and the stories but the conservation kind of comes second and uh, we have to remember that conservation has to come first in order for this to all make sense in the long run. So that's what we're talking about today. Other than that, wasp archery. If you want a badass broadhead, an American-made broadhead, an American-run company, and just an overall great customer service and great people, you need to check out wasparchery.com. I'm a huge fan of the Boss 4-Blade. Uh, I've killed one, two... My last two bucks with it, several, uh, a handful of does with it. Uh, back in the day, I used to shoot the mechanical, the jackhammer. Uh, I laid down a lot of blood trails with that broadhead. And uh, like for me, man, I'm just a huge fan of really tough, badass broadheads that uh, it's the first thing that touches the animal when you bow hunt. And uh, you, want it, you want it to be the best of the best, right? So for me that is the boss four blade they also have a new broadhead called the Havilon, and uh it's it's there's a company called 
Havilon that makes knives. So what they did was they partnered with them and they have this really sharp metal, really badass broadhead, great partnership. And uh, they put out put that out and you can find more information about that broadhead, all the fixed blades, all the mechanicals on wasparchery.com. And when you do decide to purchase a broadhead, you need to enter the discount code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you will save 20% off your order. So that's a really good discount for a really good product from a really good company. And uh, yeah, there's the commercial. Let's get into today's podcast with the CEO of the National Deer Alliance, Nick Penizzato. All right, Nick, long time, no talk. How you been, man? I've been, been well. Good to, good to talk with you, Dan, and always uh, always appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Yeah, absolutely. And um, like I always tell uh, the listeners of this podcast, it's always cool to have the podcast where we talk about in-depth strategy and how, this is how you kill the deer or all this uh, gear talk or whatever and or share stories about the kill. But this is as equally as important is to get some updates from some of the organizations that really are or what I like to call different makers, difference makers um, in the whitetail, mule deer, whatever community, the outdoor community, uh, the organizations, not nonprofits and whatnot, and uh, give them their equal share of time as well. Because, uh, you know, like I always tell the listeners of this podcast, um, they're the guys in the trenches doing the dirty work. So we have the rights and we have the ability to continue to do what we love to do. So... I just put you on a big pedestal right there, man. <laughs> well, it's funny because as you're saying that, I you're talking about all the cool stuff. And there was a time when I just did interviews on how to chase nice deer and seminars and all of that stuff. And yeah, I kind of, I kind of missed that. I'd like to trade the, uh, the white collar back to the camo collar if I could. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit today is, um, talking about what you've been doing with the national deer Alliance, uh, talk about some updates, what's going on, uh, within the organization, um, on maybe the national level, as well as a couple state levels as well. Maybe we'll touch on some whitetail stuff. We'll touch on some mule deer stuff, but the first thing that I want to ask you about and talk to you about is recently you were on, uh, you got invited or you were on a national deer Alliance. You testified on the CWD um, on CWD at a congressional subcommittee hearing in Washington, DC. And what a lot of guys don't know is that this kind of stuff happens to, you know, it's not just hunting and the state level and the Department of Natural Resources. There, It goes as high as Washington, D.C. with congressmen and House of Representatives and all this stuff. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about what you did um, on this subcommittee hearing, what it was all about, and update us a little bit about what was discussed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to, your, to your point, Dan, it's, uh, these deer issues are they're really national uh, even international issues, we do a lot with our friends up in uh, up in Canada as well on deer issues. We share the same same deer for the most part. Um, yeah, so the reason we were in D.C. and this is actually the second time I've testified in front of Congress this year, uh, where it was to try to get money 
try to get some money to deal with chronic waste and disease. So uh, a lot of different fronts on that. So I hate to just broadly throw out money, but some of our priority areas are to, number one, help our states out with the cost of doing this work. Because what happens in most cases is state wildlife agencies have to rob or borrow from other programs in order to deal with CWD because they don't have big budgets for it. And we're talking about everything from their own monitoring and surveillance to also uh, assisting hunters with the cost of testing their deer if they'd like to have it tested. So we want to help our state, our friends at the state level who are managing the deer. We need more research. So we definitely want to get more dollars into the hand of researchers and try to figure this thing out. And even education and outreach. Uh, I'm guessing that even though your listeners are going to be a little more savvy savvy than the average hunter out there because you cover a lot of issues, they're probably still not as up to speed on chronic wasting disease as what they should be. So we also need money for outreach and education so that we can inform hunters and even non-hunters about the disease. So uh, yeah, I was at a congressional hearing, a subcommittee of the House Natural Resources Committee. Uh, it was their oversight committee. And uh, they had a specific hearing on chronic wasting disease, which is really good because that means we're on the radar screen. And uh, it was a really good panel of witnesses that we had. They're actually also witnessing with me was another NDA representative, Dr. Kristen Schuler, who was on my board of directors. So two of the four um, interviewees there were from the National Deer Alliance, which was cool. And we love that we're getting called upon to uh, to provide information and also be a leader on this issue. Awesome. So what kind of topics were discussed? Like, can you go into detail about um, what maybe some of the uh, House of Represent or what that committee asked you and what your responses were back to them? Yeah, they did a really nice job. So when you uh, when you testify in front of Congress, by the way, you know, it looks so glamorous on TV, but the reality of it is it's not as it's not as um, Hollywood as it might seem you know you're sitting there with the name tag and the, and the cameras and all that but it's actually a very small room and you hope that the that the congress people who are asking you questions are educated on the subject and they and they really were in this case so I was impressed by that the members came in they asked very thoughtful questions and they did a very good job of setting up the panel of witnesses with uh with people of diverse backgrounds. So for example, I mentioned Kristen Schuler already. Um, she's, she's also her, her full time job other than being a board member of the national deer Alliance is that she's a, a scientist at Cornell university and has become really a, a top voice on CWD in the country. So she was there to cover the science of it and the research needs and answer those questions. And we had Jason Sumner's there from the Missouri department of conservation to talk about, the impact on the states and the challenges that they have uh, we're managing this thing on the state level and then we had carter smith there who's the director of the texas parks and wildlife and of course if you're in texas you've got all kinds of different uh, issues related to cwd with all the different deer species and exotics and deer farms and all of that so he gave that perspective and i was there mostly to talk about the hunting heritage probably the thing that you're listeners are most interested in and also the economic impact to make sure that the committee members knew that deer hunting really pays for the majority of all wildlife conservation because we're 80% of all hunters or excuse me, 70% of all hunters hunt deer, 80% of all hunters hunt big game. And that's the biggest chunk of the money that's generated from those sports. So 
we need to protect our deer and our deer herds. And I thought that the, I think the members of Congress who were in the hearing had really good questions. And we went through, I think, four different rounds of questions, which is, all, which is also unusual. And I just found it very beneficial this time. It was, it was really, um, it was a good effort. So when you talk about the effect on the economy, do you have to provide numbers, and maybe you could share some of that with us, uh, of what happens if there is decline in deer herd numbers and a decline in hunters and how that would, will affect the economy? Do you have to provide detailed yeah. information about that? Yeah, we certainly can't just go in willy-nilly and say, well, it's a big impact on the economy. These, these guys like numbers. Yeah. And it's something, no matter what the subject is, one thing for sure uh, people in politics understand are numbers. And so the biggie for us is that we were able to say that deer hunting gener- deer hunting is a $40 billion a year um, impact on the economy, $40 billion. And that brings in a lot of different sectors, um, but it certainly extends well beyond just hunting licenses and equipment we buy. And we're talking about impact on uh, travel, patronizing restaurants, these types of things. It's all in there. Um, so that information's in there. One of the nice things is when you do this, when you give a congressional testimony, there are actually two levels to it. So the first level is you have to submit a written testimony. And that can actually be quite lengthy. And that's where we pile in all of the big numbers and all the data. I know in my testimony, I had several charts that they could easily easily refer to um, that, that summarizes the, the numbers. But then when you give the oral testimony, you have five minutes. You can't go over and so your, your written testimony has to really be pared down. And in that testimony is where I stick to the bigger numbers that, that they need to hear. And that was the, the 70%, for example. I think a lot of times people are surprised to hear that. that man, seven out of every 10 people that buy a hunting license, license in this country are hunting deer. That's a big deal uh, because nothing else even comes close. Um, so right. it's, uh, those are impactful numbers and it gets their attention. Right. Out of curiosity, that kind of data would be awesome for even non-hunters to hear. How does some of this information get shared with some people who, I don't want to say are anti-hunters, but at the same time don't really care about hunting, and which might help them actually be more supportive of our cause if we talk a little bit more about, you know, hey, if... You know, if you own a restaurant in Pennsylvania on opening weekend of rifle, you you ha- you stand a chance to lose this much money if hunting goes away. Yeah, and and that's critical. And I, I tell you, a really great resource because we do a fair amount of industry research to to be able to get to those numbers. And a resource that I have relied on consistently for many years is some work that's done by the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Uh, they put out a publication called Hunting in America, an Economic Force for Conservation. And there's a, a pretty recent edition, 2018, that they have available. If you go to the National Shooting Sports Foundation website, you can find it. You might even be able to just Google it, Hunting in America, an Economic Force for Conservation. And it breaks down all of the big numbers. So, for example, um, there are 2.6 million people that hunt upland birds, for example. Um, that's a big deal. There right. were 147 million hunting trips for 184 million combined days of field that were booked uh, over the reporting period here. I mean, those are 
everybody should know that because those trips you and I know, Dan, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I've got, I've got a bit of an addiction and I have a hard time driving past the convenience store without stopping. And uh, when we're going on hunting trips, how many times do we stop in? We just grab something, we fuel up, we got to buy snacks to take on the trip. And then there's all the other associated expenses. It really adds up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on this uh, committee, is it equal parts, let's say like Democrat and equal parts Republican, or is it all one-sided? No, it's uh, it's a bipartisan committee. Now, leadership, uh, of course, Democrats have leadership in the House now, so the um, leadership of the group is on the Democratic side, but then there, there are also um, ranking the ranking member then from the Republican side in this particular uh, committee would be there, and also um, Democratic and Republican uh, Congress people. And one of the, one of the nice things about this issue, <laughs> I'm gonna say, yeah, that's, there's nothing nice about chronic wasting disease. But one thing's for sure is it's a bipartisan issue, in that anybody understands, no matter what your politics are, that deer are important, and this is a disease that's threatening deer, and it's also threatening a big part of our American heritage. That the deer, I mean, obviously our national animal and symbol is the is the bald eagle but among the most iconic species in this country is a deer yeah and it's something that people recognize and so it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you sit on you're sensitive to this issue and i think that uh it's hard i guess it's just hard to find anybody that doesn't like deer uh, unless you're a farmer and they're eating you out of house and home but even then i think they've got a bit of a sympathetic um bone in their body to them right so I don't know. And maybe this is me just being a, a, a cynical, but when I, when I hear a committee like you sitting in front of these people and they're asking you all these questions and you have to have the answers for that, do you ever run into a person or a group of people who have an agenda and they're, they don't care what your answer is, but they're just trying to make a point that, listen, we we want this or we need this. Uh, we don't care what you have to offer. We're going to do it anyway. I mean, I think anytime you get into any kind of politics, there's an element of that that you have to be aware of. Um, it's not uncommon in these hearings for, let's say it is a more divisive issue. Um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be uncommon for someone on the democratic side when they seat their witnesses um, to then have someone on the Republican side look at that list of witnesses and then seat somebody that would be um, counter to the issue. So, for example, actually, it, to, to some extent, this happened in the first hearing uh, that I did earlier this year where the, there was a Democratic-led hearing because it was in the House, and then on the Republican side, uh, they brought in a witness that essentially it wasn't that, that they were opposed to our issue. It was just that they're opposed to spending any kind of government money on anything. Okay. Right. Um, so it's hard to combat that uh, when someone you just got to let them give their testimony and then you just respond to the question. So, but it's politics, man. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's school board locally, all the way up to the, certainly Capitol Hill. There are always people with agendas, and you always have to be prepared for that. And um, the best advice is you go armed with the the accurate and best information you have, and you just got to let it speak for itself. Right. So you were on the national stage uh, when you were in front of this committee. How often do you get like, hey, man, this is a state issue. The federal government it does not want to 
you know, participate in this because there are some states that have where CWD is less of an issue than other states. Yeah, I think, um, so here's the deal. The, the problem is, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem in every state, okay? Because, and this is part of the education process. Uh, let's say you live in Arizona. You don't have CWD detected there. But man, you love to hunt white-tailed deer in the Midwest. And so you book a trip in, we'll say, your state there of Iowa. And you shoot a deer in a, in a CWD state. And you make the drive back to Arizona and take your deer with you. Well, one of the things that we're very clear about is that chronic wasting disease spreads fastest in the back of a pickup truck. Yeah. So you have to be cognizant of your borders. If you haven't detected it yet, you have to put forth a, uh, a sufficient amount of testing to make sure you don't have it. And therefore, it is an, it's, an, it's an important disease to everybody. And while some some states can still kind of pound their chest and say, well, we don't have it here. Um, the reality is you may, even though you think you don't, and even if you don't, you still need to be as concerned as those that do have it because it's always a threat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anything else positive or negative, and I hate to ask negative, but it's, I feel, I feel like with a, uh, a topic like this, sharing negative news is just as equally important as sharing positive news from just a rallying uh, standpoint. Any positive or negative things come out of that, uh, that hearing? It all takes time. So we're working a number of different bills that are in Congress uh, right now. I think there are five or six different bills that we're working on that cover things from research to um, getting money to states, that type of thing. So um, the positive is that when you say CWD now on Capitol Hill, that a number of legislators actually know what you're talking about. And there are some legislators that are active, that are concerned about it, and they're, they're being uh, more involved and hands-on with the issue. So that's good. That's positive. Um, and I think just in general on the hunting side of it, because I get asked this a lot, you know, what, what's the impact on hunters and um, you know, so they just hang it up. And I, the opposite is actually true because uh, when you have, if you're in a state that has CWD, sometimes it gives you more opportunities. So I know in Pennsylvania where I live, in the disease management areas, yeah, it's no fun to have disease management areas, but they also, you can get your hands on a lot of tags and do a lot of hunting and shoot a lot of deer. Now you're going to get them tested, which helps the state. But at the same time, you've got a lot of opportunity, more than you've ever had before. And as hunters, we are really the, a big key to dealing with this disease because we need the data and we need people to continue hunting. And I would just say, take advantage of those opportunities. And it also gives you an opportunity to educate yourself on just the broader aspect of deer and the things that they struggle with. And I know um, I've always enjoyed hunting, but I think I've enjoyed it more the more I learned about everything deer. And I think a lot of hunters, they they're, they generally they start thinking about it a few weeks before the season and they may go out and hunt a few days and that's fine. We, we need those people too, but uh, learn more about the animal and, and how hunters impact that animal and the, the things that they face. And I think you'll find it overall, a, just a more well-rounded and enjoyable activity. Right. Right. So with this research, um, I want to ask you a question. Maybe you know the answer to it. Maybe you don't. I feel that, 
we've started, you know, CWD is now at the attention uh, throughout the hunting community, right? Um, not everybody is probably educated on it, but at least we know what CWD is. Uh, we may not know how it spreads. We may not know, um, you know, all the negative aspects of it, but we, we've, we've heard that CWD is a disease and that it's bad, right? So with, with that being said, I take it, is this true that the nation as a whole has been testing more for CWD? Oh, there's no question. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's in more than half the states now. Okay. So we're in 20, 26 states. And, um, you know, prior to that, there was this limited testing and a very limited, very, not that states weren't concerned about it, but if you, if you felt like you didn't have it, you didn't test much. I mean, I think of like poor Arkansas, they didn't have it. And then all of a sudden they did have it one day and they started to amp up their testing and they found out they had it everywhere. Right. And it just changed their whole world. So um, definitely ramped up the amount of testing and every every state should be testing, really. Yeah. OK, so this is what I've heard from uh, another person within the hunting community. And they and he says to me, of course, you're going to find more cases of CWD when you amp up the testing for CWD. Right. You're if you're searching for something, you're going to find it. Right. But what this guy is saying is that the base level um, of this testing throughout the entire, let's say, nation's deer population is low and that it's probably something that uh, is being over, I guess, over worried about, if that makes sense. That would be wonderful. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> That's the messaging people want to hear, right? That, well, you know, if you look for it, you'll find it. And it's probably been there forever. And it's, we're making a big deal about nothing. Right. Um, that I would love for that to be true. The problem is when you are sampling an area and then you continue to sample it and you start seeing the prevalence within that area that you've been sampling going up. Okay. You're seeing spread then. So it's not like, uh, absolutely. Like I mentioned the Arkansas example, at a very basic level, there was a lot of CWD out there they didn't know about. Okay. So you can say, well, of course, now that they found it, it's always been there. What's the big deal? So now when they continue to sample in that area and then they see prevalence either go up or be stable, depending on how they try to manage it, that tells you where the disease is going. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's indisputable. It's indisputable that this disease is spreading. I mean, that's, the science is very clear on that. That right. being said, it's like anything else. I can tell you all of the same data that I'm aware of and, and um, say it in a way that is more favorable to what you want to hear. Right. And um, so, yeah, I, it's that's one of the challenges we have with the education is you have people saying things like, um, well, most deer get shot anyway before they get CWD, so why do we care about it? I mean, that's a very short-sighted um, way to look at this disease. There are a lot of people out there that are trying to let deer get a little bit older for, for better hunting purposes. Um, a lot of people have their own antler restrictions, or we have states that have antler restrictions so that uh, these animals end up getting older. And so with that older population, you're having deer, more deer die before they're shot or whatever. And, and beyond that, you also might have more older deer 
uh, running around the landscape spreading the disease too. So it's very complicated. It's very complex. So therefore, it's much easier to just say, well, if you look for it, you'll find it, and it's out there everywhere, and we're probably just making a big deal about nothing. Um, I have not found a credible scientist yet that has said, ah, we just it's really not that big of a deal. Right. Okay. So from a research side of things, have we come into any new methods of testing that will allow um, allow for better results or allow for quicker results or make this whole process easier? Any breakthroughs? Yeah, I think um, I wouldn't say that we have breakthroughs, but I can tell you that that is one of the areas that we're racing to in terms of the research. We want to have the holy grail here would be in terms of the testing would be that a hunter could could take a field test and tell you right and it would tell you what if your deer was positive or not um but at the same time there was a group of people that says they're not too eager to have a field test because they're worried that people will will do the test and then just let the deer lay there dispose of it improperly i i'm not necessarily in that camp i think most hunters will, will want to do the right thing and i think most hunters want to know if that deer is positive as quickly as possible that being said we have i'm seeing more and more uh, labs being put into place to be able to do this or, or to, to be certified to do this type of testing. Um, there are new partnerships forming between states and laboratories. So it's uh, hunters are able to get results back quicker. Uh, so we don't want somebody to submit a test and then not get a result back for weeks because then, you know, what do you do with that deer in the meantime? But if we can get you something back within just a couple of days or a few days, that's a lot more reasonable. So we're continually trying to look for opportunities there. Cool. What about what about the funding? Has that increased? And I understand you're trying to get money on the the federal side for that uh, for that funding. But what about um, donations or other contributors to the National Deer Alliance saying, "Okay, this is serious to us. Here's some money." Um, has that gone up for you guys? Yeah. So we don't collect money at NDA to. To deal with the disease but what we do is we seek out partners obviously to help support us so that i can do things like go down and testify and be a voice for hunters across the country um so we've had an increase definitely an increase in the number of um, corporate sponsors so people within the hunting industry and, and even some private foundations that are supporting us to be able to do this work so we've seen an increase there um, we are, however, in the process of setting up the, North, the National Deer Alliance Foundation, where there, there would be opportunity for people to contribute directly to us to deal with these issues. Um, I'll say more about that in a, in a future show if you have me back, but um, we're, we're close to doing that. Um, we're also working with, I had an encouraging call with, um, with the Wildlife Management Institute, the CWD Alliance, which we've talked about before on the show. And they're trying to set up a mechanism, or I think they're actually most of the way there, of having a mechanism where we could have a pot where we could take some federal money, we could take money from individuals, we could take money from foundations, and then they could then dole that out to the appropriate people to do things like research. Because it's actually a bit of an administrative uh, nightmare to try to deal with that money because they all come with, it all comes with different strings attached to it. But we're working on that, and like I said, um, we certainly appreciate the support at NDA as well because what, our work isn't free, so there's a cost to doing that as well. Right, right. All right, so on the front 
of the or the first page of the National Deer Alliance uh, website, we have three logos that stick out to me: uh, the Whitetails Unlimited, the QDMA, and Mule Deer Foundation. How do those three organizations shake hands and communicate and spread information with the National Deer Alliance? Yeah. So those are the three founding deer organizations that agreed to, uh, to form the NDA. And they agreed to do that because they, they wanted a policy leader. Not that these groups, uh, you know, QDMA certainly gets involved in policy, but it's not necessarily the same policy. Um, Mule Deer Foundation as well, they, get, they weigh in on issues, but they're counting on me to be in D.C., big picture type stuff. So um, Whitetails Unlimited, they don't really do... They do a little bit of local policy, not much, and they're definitely counting on being able to lean on the stuff that NDA is doing for policy. So um, they're on the website because they were the, the key groups, the national deer groups that said, hey, we need someone to lead on policy, especially on the federal level, and that's why we're going to create the NDA. So um, I can tell you that I'm, I'm in communication with these folks on a regular basis. And also, they all have positions on my board of directors, so we've got that connection as well. Right, right. So, anything else before we move into the next topic on the the CWD? Well, I guess I'll, I'll just transition for us, right? Um, on more of a local level or a state level, um, you Wisconsin... Uh, I guess you guys called on Wisconsin for a little bit more attention to CWD in a state that's already had a big CWD problem. Yeah, there's a good example. So, yeah, Wisconsin has been ground zero for CWD um, for a long time. They're the the state that's talked about because of all the, the things that happened there and things that didn't necessarily or haven't gone well or aren't going well. And then only to find out that the state legislature there essentially allocates no money to deal with CWD, which is a head-in-your-sand approach, which doesn't work. So, of course, we're going to call them out on that. Um, So we called upon our members and put out an action alert to write your legislators and say, hey, this is nonsense. This is no no way to approach this issue. And some other national groups did the same. So that's one example um, of things that we would do on a state level. Um, we just sent just this past week sent a letter to New York because the the New York Department of Environmental Conservation there the DEC put together actually working with their ag department a really nice CWD uh, risk risk uh, management program but then it went and sat on the governor's desk for over a year and never got implemented so we called on our partner organizations from across across the country to sign on to a letter to the governor that said hey we need to move this forward. There's no reason this is setting here. We sitting here. We need to protect deer herds in New York, and and we expect that, and the sportsmen expect that. And lo and behold, within two days after that, they moved the, They moved it. So uh, uh, those are the types of things we do on the state level and help with communications. Um, you mentioned Wisconsin. I'll be up at Wisconsin uh, here in a couple of days for a symposium they're doing there with some other folks across the country to talk about communication on this issue. So um, we're involved at a lot of levels. Right. Okay. And uh, so is, that seems like a awesome example of you guys hearing about something that needs to be accomplished, you know, getting the information out to all of the members, 
and saying, okay, it's time to activate, right? It's time to stand up and start shouting. You focus that attention on the state of Wisconsin and saying, hey, we need, we need to get this done. And now the wheels are moving because of that. Yeah, and this is why we need members. It's not, we, first of all, we haven't charged for a membership. We've been around almost four years now. It, right. does, it doesn't cost you anything, right? And, and I don't care if you're someone, well, I don't like to get the newsletter every week because it puts stuff in my inbox. I don't care if you sign up and then delete every newsletter. But what I do care about is that I have your, your name, your email address, and your zip code because when I send out an alert, I can, I can pull out everybody that's from Wisconsin and I can send you alerts specific to your state. And our system is so slick that all you have to do is click on a few places and then you've sent a letter off to your legislator saying this issue is important to me. Right. So that's why we need to build a big list. I mean, it's not um, – people can't look at our membership model and say, well, you're making all this money on members. I mean, that's, that's nonsense. And we spend 99% of our budget directly on the issues, and we don't, we don't ask people to, to pay us a membership. So it's free to sign up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. The next topic I kind of wanted to uh, talk about there is – you know, kind of stepping away from the doom and gloom of deer diseases. Um, there was recent, you guys also focus on providing opportunities for hunting, right? Just additional hunting. Uh, why don't you talk us about uh, the the fishing up op- and hunting opportunities on national wildlife refuges? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, a little bit earlier this year, we put out an article about um, essentially applauding. Uh, there was a federal proposal from the Department of Interior to expand hunting and fishing on national wildlife refuges, and it opened uh, expanded access to 74 on 74 different areas. And so one of the things that's very important to us, we, we're not just a CWD organization. It's, it's just that happens to be the hottest issue right now. Right. We're very concerned about things like hunter access because we know that that's one of the reasons a lot of hunters hang it up and they quit hunting is because they don't have what they feel like is a good place to go. And so the one of the easiest things to do is protect our available public lands. And then also when we have opportunities to expand them, because I mean, I, I remember this fully as a, as a growing up in the east and I started hunting in the west. The first time I went out west to hunt and I stepped onto this, the uh, big federal land area and I'm looking out at literally thousands and thousands of acres and I say to myself, wow, like this is actually all mine. I can go anywhere I want here. Nobody's going to bother me. Um, that's a really eye-opening experience for an easterner that has that struggles with permission and trying to fight to get to hunt even a 50-acre tract. Um, so we want to try to uh, continue to expand access, even in the eastern states, try to come up with programs that work well with work well for landowners as well. And then sometimes that means compensation. We just had an extensive article in our most recent newsletter about leasing. And I know some people feel like leasing is a bad word, uh, but at the same time, that does indeed keep op- areas open to hunting as opposed to a landowner just saying it's shut down. Um, that people can still hunt those areas for a fee in some cases, but we're also looking at programs where maybe there are other ways to pay fees to landowners to keep their land open so that anybody can hunt it. So we want to we want to provide those opportunities, uh, protect what we have, and expand upon what's not available so that people have a place to go. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that is like, how do you manage your time? 
because I feel like, yes, CWD gets a lot of attention, but that is a process that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that is just going to take a lot longer and more time to figure out how we, number one, address it, number two, beat it, as opposed to hunter recruitment and hunting opportunities. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, we just updated our strategic plan at our annual meeting, which would have been December, last December. And while we still have four or five core priority areas, we definitely said that recognized that CWD was going to be number one because that's the most critical at the moment with the the hunter access and opportunities shortly thereafter and everything else is just as, as we have time to do it. We're a very small shop. Um, it literally is just myself, and now I do have um, someone on contract um, to help with, with some of that work as well, and then we do work with some consultants, but it's not like um, I have a team that I can assign to work on this other work while I go work on CWD, for example. So it's right. difficult to prioritize the time, and I used to get stressed out and worked up about it, but I've learned to... Uh, understand that you can only do as much as you can in a, in a day's time and you just do the best you can. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a lot of partners too. I mean, we're not the only ones working on this by any means. We've got some great partners working this issue, other big national conservation organizations. So that definitely is helpful. Right. Cool. So anything else uh, that you guys have been doing that might be interesting, whether that's research or, you know, putting your suit on and going to D.C. And and I might add, you look really good in a suit. <laughs> well, as much as I appreciate you saying that, uh, I, I, I much would rather be putting on a camo suit <laughs> and uh, as we all going out and tasting yeah, exactly. As we all would. So uh, I can I can certainly play the uh, I can do the DC thing. Okay, you know it's not a big deal, but um, it's not my preference. So I think the most exciting thing at the NDA right now is that we're I, I would say that we're growing. Uh, we're going to have um, our best budget year that we've had since we started, which is exciting. We've got more partners on board, more financial supporters across the industry than we've ever had, which is exciting. Um, so that's cool. And I think we're going to continue to expand and, and, and take on some things that we haven't in the past. Um, but I want to caution and say that by any means, I, I can't say that we've arrived, I mean, it's not like, um, we have all of this money now. That's not true. We have more people who support us, but they're still at small amounts. And so we do need to grow a little bit. Um, but I feel like we're headed in the right direction. I think we've been validated that we right. need to be here and that we're doing good things. And I think that's, that's pretty exciting for me as someone who's been here since day one. Right. Okay. Now, you know, a lot of the guys who listen to this podcast are whitetail hunters, right? They East coast, uh, you know, when I say East coast, I say Midwest, you know, Iowa and to the East, you know, all the, the bigger whitetail States. Right. But, States that have mule deer are also affected by, you know, mule deer are also affected by CWD. Are there any differences in how you approach what you're doing to whitetail than what you're doing with mule deer? You know, some of it's, some of it's different and some of it's the same. So, you know, you certainly have very passionate Western hunters or even people that live in the East that love to hunt mule deer. Right. Uh, I love to hunt mule deer. The issues, though, tend to be different. 
So it's funny because out there you don't have as much fighting and squabbling over access and that type of thing because there's so much public land. Whereas here, that's one of the big issues. Everybody's posting their land and you have that deal and you shot my buck or you're shooting too small of a buck or this kind of stuff, right? Um, but they have other issues out there. So one of the things that is very important to specifically high country mule deer is they have to be able to migrate and get to the lower areas where there's food to survive the winter. And one of the challenges has been is that as yeah, human beings, we're not the most sensitive to wildlife and we've encroached on or even cut off some of these migration corridors. So the Mule Deer Foundation has really done a lot of great work on trying to make sure that we have established corridors that we're not going to develop and also do some very creative things like um, build these um, essentially overpasses so that so that deer can cross either under or bridges that cross over highways that were otherwise shutting off migration corridors. Um, so that's that's been an, an, an it's been increased focus on that particular issue um, for mule deer and elk too. I mean, they, they're all, they need to migrate. And that's something as an Easterner, if you've only had whitetails, you don't, that you don't really get that, you know, our deer don't, don't really need to migrate. Um, so that's a big issue there. Um, so that's, that's a big one. Habitat is a big one. Um, just because you have land doesn't necessarily mean it's the best habitat. So we continue to work on those uh, types of issues as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, anything else, any information that you want to share with us before we uh, hang it up today? No, I just think it's getting exciting here. We're getting getting towards, or we're getting to the time where guys have trail cameras out. I'm, I'm starting to get text messages of pictures of big deer, which is getting me excited. Yeah. And um, just, just on mule deer real quick, if you are a Midwesterner and an Eastern and you haven't gone to chase mule deer, and go do it. It's it's so much fun. It's a it's a little bit of a different animal, but get yourself out there, do some spot and stock mule deer hunting on some of that public land, and you'll be a changed person. I think you'll you'll try to find a way to make that a part of your regular routine. So I'm glad you brought them up. Yeah, dude, I'm going to uh, South Dakota this year to chase uh, to chase muleys with my bow. Oh, that's great. That's your you'll love. I've I've shot mule deer in South Dakota. It's a great state, and I think you're gonna have a good time. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm really, really looking forward to that, um, on several reasons. But the one of the biggest reasons is it's not ten thousand feet like my elk hunt, so I'm not going to be completely worn out all the time, you know, uh, hiking up and down the mountains. But yeah. So uh, the last thing I want to say is, you know. If someone hears this for the first time and they want to become a member and they want to be informed, where do we send them? Yep, just go to nationaldeeralliance.com or just Google us, National Deer Alliance. And right on the front of our website, there's a big green button that says Join the Alliance. And uh, you do that, you'll get our newsletter, which comes out every Wednesday. People seem to really like it. Um, but like I said, if you if you sign up and you really just want to be kept up on the issues that are happening, that's important too. Uh, you don't even have to read the newsletter to do that. So, Perfect. Well, sir, I appreciate your time as always. Uh, number one, for fighting the good fight. And number two, for coming on uh, this podcast and chatting with us today and sharing all the, the good news. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity, Dan. 
And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another podcast in the books. Please take this time to go sign up to become a member of the National Deer Alliance. Like Nick said, it is free. Huge shout out to Nick for taking time out of his day to hop on. Uh, really appreciate what he's doing and fighting the good fight for us. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please follow us on social, Instagram, and Facebook. You can uh, subscribe through the Nine Finger Chronicles or you can subscribe through the Sportsman's Nation Whitetail feed. Other than that, I think, I think that's it, man. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf, Ripcord Wasp, Ozonics, Prime, and Vortex. And uh, that's it, man. Have a good rest of your day. Enjoy your hump day. Enjoy the rest of the week. Get outside. And uh, if you're going to be in a tree, wear your damn safety harness.